Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm Max Brown, and today my guest is Bob Berg. Bob is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing a platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities, including a former U.S. president. He's done a lot. In fact, Bob and I, have we, we did a podcast over 10 years ago, and he's the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, influence. His book, The Go-Giver, is co-authored with John David Mann, and it sold, sold over 925,000 copies, been translated in 28 different languages. Bob, I'm grateful that you would be on the show today. Max, I'm grateful to you for having me. You're such a great guy, and it's been too long since we've spoken. It has been too long, I agree. And so I'm grateful that you could join me because, you know, regardless of the time when we could chat or or when we talk, um, the message you've shared with people is is relevant, and it's contemporary, and and it's needed today. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I think like anything else, is we we tried to make it principle based. Mm-hmm. So it would, and, and you know, and and it bring, you bring up a great point too, because when the book first came out, and this is now almost eleven years, almost twelve years ago now, I guess, but, mm-hmm. and people said, "Well, so what is it about this 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 these laws that you and, and John David Mann have have shared that's so new?" And and I would say, nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. nothing's new. Uh, yeah, it, I wouldn't want it to be new. Uh, I remember the great Jim Rohn, a wonderful speaker and author and business philosopher and, and business builder. He once said, beware of the person who comes to you promising new fundamentals. Yes. I thought, wow, what yes. a great point that is. So I think universal laws and principles, they, they you know, trace over, over time. Yeah, certainly strategies change and, and techniques, tactics can change when, when appropriate. But mm-hmm. you know, principles pretty much uh, withstand the test of time and, and work across the board, whether we're talking success physically, financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, yes. so forth. No, I love it. I love it. And, and for me, the principles are universal. And like you said, they, they stand the test of time. It doesn't matter what language you're speaking or where you're at in the world or what your own personal background is. The, you, you either follow them or you don't, but there's consequences to ignoring them. Ah, uh, exactly. Right? Uh, exactly. I think Bob Proctor said it best. He said, when it comes to universal laws and principles, mm-hmm. you can embrace them uh, or you can uh, disregard them. Mm-hmm. What you can't do is alter them. Yes, Yes, it's perfect. Yeah, you, you can't can ignore it. Uh, it's fine. Sure, you can alter how they work. You know, it's funny because I talk about principles as well. And when I when I talk to people, I say, "Hey, listen, do you believe in the law of gravity?" And uh, and you, you know, <laughs> you if we go to the top of the largest building and we yell, we don't declare, you know, we don't believe in gravity anymore, and we jump off. Right. Will there be a consequence? Right. And as obvious as that might seem, some people don't get it when we talk about these other principles. Right. Right, right. That's why they say, is, is something good or bad, a certain principle? You know, I mean, look at gravity. Yeah, go back to your great example. Yeah. Gravity is neither good nor bad. It manifests itself as good or bad depending upon the context. So yes. when it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space, well, it's good. Yeah. When it comes to jumping off a nine-story building or whatever, it's bad. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Principle. So let's jump into it then. You know, regardless of what's happening in this world today, we need principles to guide us in our life. And in the there's five laws specifically you talk about in the go giver, but I'm sure there's other principles you've learned along the way. Let's just jump into the five laws for now and then we'll see where it goes from there. Sure. Well, the, the laws themselves are are uh, 
value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. Mm-hmm. And everything within those laws is is based on a premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the premise itself, the premise of the go-giver, if you will, is simply that shifting your focus, and this is so key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. So Mm -hmm. understanding that doing so is not only a, a, a more pleasant way of conducting business, it's, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. Mm-hmm. Not for some way way out there, woo-woo type of, of reasons. It, mm-hmm. it, it's actually very rational and logical mm-hmm. when, you, when you think about it. When you're that person, sometimes that rare person, who rather than focusing on yourself, okay, places your focus on bringing immense value to others, making their life better happier, more fulfilling, whatever it happens to be, however you, you do it, people feel good about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They're much more likely to want to be in a relationship with you, to want to buy from you if that if your product service matches their, their need, um, and talk about you to others and refer mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's really, uh, you know, it, it's really concrete when you think about it. When I speak at, at sales conferences, often one of the first things I'll I'll ask the audience is, you know, do you agree with the following statement? Nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, hmm. right? And we all laugh because we know that absolutely no one's going to buy because, uh, because the salesperson has a quota to meet. They're not going to buy because you need the money and they're not going to buy because you're a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy from you. They're going to do business with you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason anyone should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. So the person, that entrepreneur or salesperson who can who can place the other person's interest first, who can actually focus on that person, well, they're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. They're much more likely to earn that person's trust. It's interesting, you, because as I hear that, this morning on, on our Twitter stream, uh, commenting to you, myself, and a couple others, someone mentioned, um, they said, but, but my giving, I have to take care of myself. I have to start with myself, you know, and that's where it begins. My response to them was simply, but I find that I'm taking care of myself when I'm taking care of others in a big way. And it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm being made to be a fool or that I'm setting myself up for failure. I can be a giver, and that doesn't mean that it's a sucker's errand. What do you say? Well, you're absolutely right. So, so let's, let's look into that because I think it's, that's so very important. The, yeah. the law of influence, which is law number three, says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, mm-hmm. this person on Twitter might say, well, wait, but, but wait a second, isn't, aren't I going to get taken advantage of and isn't mm-hmm. that going to hurt me? Well, so first, let's understand something, that if you think about the greatest leaders you know, the top influencers, mm-hmm. and I will say the most consistently, sustainably successful top money-earning salespeople, 
This is exactly how they live their lives and conduct their businesses. Mm -hmm. They're always thinking of the other person, always looking for how they can add value to the marketplace mm -hmm. individually and in, in total. Um, but let me also um, put that person's um, trepidations to rest. Mm -hmm. When we say place the other person's interests first, we don't in any way mean you should ever be anyone's doormat mm -hmm. or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not at all. It's simply understanding, and this is what Joe, the protege in the story, learned from several of the mentors, mm -hmm. uh, the golden rule of, of business, the golden rule of sales, and that is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. The fastest, most powerful, most effective way uh, to elicit those feelings toward you of no like and trust from others toward you is to genuinely and authentically move from what we call an I focus or mm -hmm. me focus to what we call an other focus. Mm -hmm. Looking for ways to, as Sam, one of the, pro the mentors told Joe, make your win all about the other person's mm -hmm. win. So, no, there's there's nothing about being a go giver that that says you should ever be taken advantage of. Now, if you find yourself just you know giving to others and mm -hmm. finding yourself taken advantage of, it, it's not because you're giving to others. Okay, it's because you're doing things in such a way as to be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's now, a different yeah. thing. Right. In, in yes. life, we're all going to be taken advantage of sometime. I mean, that's part of life. We're never going to, never going to, but I'm talking about a pattern. Mm -hmm. of something. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what he, what he, what this person on Twitter is kind of thinking uh, when he, he looks at giving, he's, he's not thinking of, of, you know, just of giving value in a thoughtful and intelligent way that's going to bring value to another human being mm -hmm. uh, and increase this uh, this person's value. He's thinking of, of doing something self-sacrificial, uh, giving in to someone and doing whatever this person asks. Right. Uh, discounting his prices to whatever that person wants. No, that has nothing right. to do with right. what we're talking yeah, I think, and I think that's a big distinction and one that's very helpful for folks. And frankly, I didn't realize, you know, the last time we talked on, on a podcast together over 10 years ago about now was just about the time that the book had come out. And now you've, you know, sold almost a million copies of this message and the message continues to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so obviously it just resonates and it obviously has impact even though it might have seemed counterintuitive when it first came out, I think a lot of people are starting to learn this is a better way. Well, what happened was when it first came out, and this this surprised John and, and, and me, and in retrospect, of course, it shouldn't, but in retrospect, nothing ever does. Sure. Um, the first the, the the first wave of adopters, if you will. Uh, and we know this just from the massive amounts of emails we received, yep. were people who were already living their lives and conducting their business this way. This yeah. is the people like you. This is the person like CEOs. This is the person, the big sales leaders, the top producers who had thousands of, you know, these are the people who were already doing this. Uh, again, nothing was surprising about this. Yeah. And what they wrote to us was, this is exactly what I've been trying to tell people in my organization, right? And they won't listen to it, right? Because they, <laughs> they, they saw 
you know, I'm dating myself a little here, but they remember J.R. Ewing of yeah. Dallas as the ruthless, horrible, you know, or the, that's right. Uh, that, that, that's what we see in the movies and on TV. And that's uh, right. Read, right. That's the, uh, but no, most people understand that if you, if you want to bring in a whole lot mm-hmm. of income, you've got to serve a whole lot of people mm-hmm. and serve them well. And yes, you do have to place their interests first because they ain't buying because yeah. it's because it's of interest to you. Yeah. And, you know, and you've got to be authentic and, and because it's hard to sustain a phoniness for too long. And law number five, receptivity, you've got to be able to allow yourself to receive. Yeah. Now, so the first wave were all those people. And I mean, I mean, organizations bought thousands and hundreds and so forth of the books. Mm-hmm. And that, that was great. But here's what happened. Six months later, the second wave starts emailing us with their success stories mm-hmm. and how they heard about the book from so-and-so, you know, their mentor or their sales manager or the vice president of sales who had put it through the entire organization, right? Mm-hmm. So it was the people who already were doing this that were, well, that was the reason that, that this book took off so fast. What, what do you say to the folks who say, but I can point to examples of people who aren't doing this and seem to be very successful? Or organizations who, you know, sure. like you said, the J.R. Ewing example, they run their lives like that even today and say, I don't need that in my life. Let's look at two types like this. Yeah. And in the first one, let's, let's look at someone like Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Because it, I don't know if you read, you know, the, the, the book by Walter Isaacson. It was a great book that gave, told a lot of his warts and foils. And, mm-hmm. certain, and of course, we've all read numerous articles, heard from people who knew, you know, so forth, right? Yep. And by all accounts, he was not necessarily the sweetest, nicest human being mm-hmm. in the world. So, first of all, one mistake I think people make is confusing being a go-giver with necessarily being nice and sweet and warm mm-hmm. and fuzzy. Some are. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think I am. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's but true. But let's ask if Steve Jobs followed the five laws mm-hmm. from the go-giver, Okay. And, and, and let's see. So the first law is the law of value, which basically says you give more in value than you take in payment. No, that does not mean you don't make a profit. What it means is <laughs> that you understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. Value is the relative worth or desirability mm-hmm. of something to the end user or beholder. When he sold, uh, let's just say, you know, uh, uh, the an iPad, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember how much the iPad was when it first came out, but uh, let's say it was $700. I, again, I'm just naming a figure. Right. People bought it because to them, it was worth more than $700. Mm-hmm. And people love their iPads. Okay, I know I did. So, and the iPod, well, I never had an iPod actually, but a lot of people did. But, you know, my little iPhone and, all, and my iMac that I'm on, and they're pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because it's of great value. And we stand in line when a new product comes up. Some of us do that because we want to buy it. Why? Because we love Steve Jobs or the no, most of us don't even know Steve Jobs. I never met him. No, it's because we believe that the product and the experience and everything about it is going to give us more in value mm-hmm. than what we're paying. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, first law, absolutely, he, he covers. Second law, the law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve, Mm 
mm-hmm. and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us the more people whose lives you touch, mm-hmm. whose lives you impact with that exceptional value, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Well, would it be accurate to say that Steve Jobs sold a whole lot of I stuff? Sure. Okay, so law number two. Law number three, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Well, people might say, well, wait a second. I mean, Steve Jobs was known for not doing, um, you know, what do you call them, to focus groups and and so forth like that. Well, okay, so let's look at that. First, Steve Jobs was a visionary. Mm -hmm. He had a way of knowing what the public wanted before we knew we wanted it. Okay. Yeah, and he would, and he would famously say that. Exactly. Right. But what? But we obviously did want it, mm-hmm. and he was putting our interests first because otherwise we wouldn't have bought. Now, here's a quote that Steve Jobs said. Okay, he said, he said it's not. He said ultimately it's not about the technology. You have to begin with the customer experience. Yes. And work your way back to the technology. Yeah. He loved technology. He probably didn't care about the customer experience, but he had to because yeah. that's the only way he was going to sell. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, he placed other people's interests first. He had to. Yeah. Now, law number four, law of authenticity. The most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. I don't think anyone would ever say that he was anything but authentic. Yeah. And law number five, the law of receptivity. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Well, the guy was a multi, 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 multi billionaire. Yeah. I would say he was open to receiving. So yeah. I would say absolutely. Steve Jobs was a go giver. Just because he wasn't the nicest guy in the world doesn't mean he wasn't a go giver. So that's right. the first time, okay, in answer to that question. Can I answer the second one too about the person who just does not seem okay? Because there are people, there are people, Max, who just really, they don't. They don't really care about anyone else. They they uh, don't necessarily do the right things, and yet they seem to be sustainably financially successful yeah. over time. And we all know people like that. Well, first, it's a big world, okay? So they're, they're the ones, but here's the deal, okay? And, and Wallace D. Waddles talked about this in his 1915 classic, The Science of Getting Rich. There are some people who are just so good on what he calls the competitive plane Mm -hmm. rather than the creation plane okay Mm -hmm. most of us we want to live on the creative plane okay it doesn't mean you don't have competition that of course that's that would be ridiculous Mm -hmm. no you understand your competition you know them you're familiar with them you might even study them but you focus on creating value Mm -hmm. that's how you make money that's Mm -hmm. how you serve a lot of people but some are just so immensely powerful on the competitive plane and by the way, some people may just happen to invent something that the market wants that, that just they, but even that person who just is so that they can work so hard mm-hmm. for so long. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Those and it's rare, but those people who are sustainably financially successful, it is tough. Mm-hmm. It is a mm-hmm. tough road to hoe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is because you have no one on your side. You're constantly having to duplicate what you've just done. And most of the people who have succeeded on that type of plane, if you look at their personal relationships, mm-hmm. if you look mm-hmm. at their health, if you look at it, typically not very, not very successful in that regard. Yeah. So rather than focus on that 
one tenth of one percent who maybe does do that, yeah. most of us just cannot do that, and we wouldn't want to. Right. Yep. And I think that's a perfect example, actually, that there's a there's a there's a there's a level of personal satisfaction that comes with doing things in a meaningful way. And when I'm in service to others, I find meaning in that I find satisfaction in that. And that's part of the reward on top of the success. Right. Exactly. It is part of it. It's a nice part of it. But one does not diminish the other. That's right. I mean, in other words, it's not like, oh, well, I feel good about it the way I'm doing it, even though it costs me money. No. Um, we, you're we need much to make more money. likely to cost yourself money when you're not taking care of others. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Know? So, That's lot, right. so when people say, well, can you give it examples of, of companies that, that kind of do this and that kind of really are good as far as they follow those five lines? And here's what I would say. Look at any company yeah. that has that is sustainably profitable, yep. not, not the flash in the pan, sustainably profitable, and they're doing this. That's exactly they, right. They, you, you couldn't you just couldn't survive yeah if you're not i totally agree yeah. i totally agree cat classic example you know southwest airlines right okay well that's my that i uh, you know i'm a huge fan of theirs and that's that's yeah. the first one that comes to my mind yeah they're they're the classic example. airline by the way that after their first year they have been profitable every yeah. year since in an industry in an industry that loses money every single year yeah and they have been sustainably profitable and it's also your local printer or your local restaurateur who, yeah. you know or your local whatever mm-hmm. and, and so it's really just you know if they're if they're if they're following these laws uh, they've got to be successful again not because i we invented the laws right that we, uh, obviously we have not but just because these are the laws that, if followed, result in success. Yeah, you, know, you you bring up another point though, and there's a couple different things that I'm thinking about. I don't know if you've seen the documentary General Magic about the company before the iPad and and Steve Jobs and everyone got quite famous in what they were doing. There was a there was a company trying to create an iPhone type product called General Magic, and this beautiful documentary I highly recommend. Um, and all these founders, great creatives, all together couldn't get it, couldn't create enough value because they were creating the experience for themselves rather than for the customer. And when they deployed it, they thought, oh, this was going to be amazing. And it just fell all apart. Now, interestingly, all these people went on to be very successful in other things. Most of them are founders of most of the Silicon Valley startups that we see today. They learned a lesson. They learned a huge lesson in how to create more value for who they serve and who they serve. Sure. Well, ah, ah, exactly. Both of those, how to create more value, but they also discovered who they serve. Yes. It isn't yourself. It's very powerful. Very (laughs) powerful. Which again, and and just so people don't don't confuse us, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be passionate about what you're doing. You shouldn't love and feel just great about it. No, of course. Absolutely. Uh, You know, going back to Steve Jobs, he obviously loved what he was doing. And, you know, there's a there's a thing now where people are saying, well, don't uh, worry about being passionate about what you do. Just work at it. You'll become. And and I understand that. And there's a certain uh, there's a a viability there. But it is really difficult. And I think anyone who has just just done very, very well uh, for many, many years will kind of say because I hear them saying this. It's really hard to sustain that kind of work ethic or, or, you know, if you're not, if you don't love what you do. Yeah. It's hard to be successful when you don't love what you do. So I do understand what they're saying about, you know, don't think, oh, it's just, and by the way, being passionate about what you're doing isn't enough. Yeah. 
as those as they found out, you've also got to either create or recognize a marketplace, and it's got to be something people will pay for. So yeah. it's not either just be passionate or just do the thing. Yeah, both are. are it's yeah. a both and not an either or. It's not an either or. It's an and. Yeah, I agree with that. And the authenticity of it is is the is the differentiator in my mind. I see a lot of people out in social media who push themselves out there a lot, but. I, I even even on LinkedIn, I'm getting a lot of connections where people are now, you know, how, how many times have you gotten requests now on LinkedIn where people are asking for your time and to meet with oh. you? I feel like it's almost a classified ad, and oh, yeah. I don't feel like they're trying to help or to build or they're just trying to sell. That I feels different to me. Of course, or something that said this is what you do or something like that, and they just do because it, it all sounds the same when they when they do it as well. It does. Like it, yeah, and it's really, you know, it's like you, you just kind of want to write back to everybody and, and kind of say, this is not the way, you know. To this do isn't it. the way to do it, yeah. <laughs> and social media, I find the people that are the most successful in social media are those who share others pe- other people's work and shine oh, light on other people, not I just know, on selling absolutely. themselves. Oh, that, I mean, you hit that right on the head, absolutely. Yeah. When you can, when you, can uh, uh, you know, repost or retweet or reshare and say something that, you know, really edify and mm-hmm. say something about it, show that your heart is in it and that you, what it is that you enjoyed or what have you, to the degree that you can encourage others and be that source of encouragement and goodwill, uh, you know, that on social media, that's the, I don't want to say the magic potion, because yeah. the magic pill, because there's nothing that's magic, but that's certainly a, a very high value way of being. I, I agree. I agree 100%. And I, I think it's a huge differentiator from those who are attempting to be authentic or those who just only make it about themselves. Right. And, and I think that's a big distinction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so funny when you say they try to be authentic. And, and it's because so, it always reminds me of the, uh, you know, the old Hollywood thing. The, the key to success in Hollywood is um, sincerity. And if you can fake that, you've got it made. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of times people try to take on a a persona and it's not their persona. It's someone else's. Yes. Who they've seen be successful. Mm -hmm. And they and, you know, I always say when it comes to authenticity, always continue to grow and learn, you know, become a better, higher, more effective, authentic version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Step into your true highest value, your true highest uh, authentic being. So but learn from everyone uh, adapt their wisdom, but don't adopt their personality. Yeah. And that, and you see a lot of people adopting others' personalities. Uh, and you know, you want to say, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it ain't going to work for you. That's They're right. where they are because of, you know, what they've done. Um, and some of the things that people try to imitate mm-hmm. when they see someone who's successful but is doing some sort of kind of funky things. And what they don't realize is that person didn't become successful because they do those funky things. Mm -hmm. They got successful because they're brilliant. They had great value to offer or they, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. it happened to be that, that helped them become successful. And so sometimes, you know, people look at the the person and they think, um, Oh, I got to try to do the certain things they do. That's what made them successful. No, it probably didn't. 
You know, it's, it's, it's interesting for me because I think we resonate at this level as well, where I'm very careful about giving, you know, a five-step list to prescriptions of everything everyone must do. Those best practices might work for some people, but do things differently for others, right? Right. And so it's living by values, by principles that right. helps us to become our own person. So we don't have to do it the same way as everyone else. But there are a few things that, you know, the baseline of how I live my life and the system I live under, can, I can still have my own personality and, and let that come to life and be very genuine and real. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Ray Dalio the, from the Bridgewater mm-hmm. Fund wrote the book Principles. And, you know, if you go through that book, you see that's so much of what he's, what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, there are certain things that, that work uh, and as he said, and, and as you just said, there were certain things that worked for him based on the type of person he is that mm-hmm. might not work for someone else. Mm-hmm. So you've got to look at what are the universal principles that absolutely we need to use right. and what are the ones that and what are the the other areas that we need to adapt to because it's not necessarily where we are right now yeah. or based on our style, personality, strengths, weaknesses other characteristics wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be something that would be good for us to do. Yeah. So how has the message evolved for you? What have you learned since you wrote the book? And I'm sure, you know, after I wrote a book, I said, gosh, I I could have written this and this and this and this. I could have said more. I could have done more. So now I'm evolving and I'm learning and I'm growing, you know, as I I continue to to engage with so many people like yourself and, and continuing to grow my thoughts around how I can be better. How has the message evolved for you? What's changed over the years? Well, in every book I've written, I, I go back and, 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 I mean, I don't read my own books because mm-hmm. for me terribly. <laughs> I mean, how, how could they not? You know, it's like where um, by the time you get through the writing, the editing and editing and editing and editing, uh-huh. you know, the whole thing, you never want to see it again sometimes. But, um, but in, in the books I've written, I can go back and see areas where, I made a mistake or said something in there that I would have said a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and with the go giver, I'd say one, one big thing that I wish that John and I worked into the story better. Uh, well, we didn't really work it into the story. Um, we, in the, the updated version where there's a question and answer part in a discussion guide, we explained it in there, but you know, that's like a front page story and then the correction in the, page 38 or something. Right. But I wish we had explained in there that the opposite of a go-giver is not a go-getter. <laughs> because a lot of people, you know, will will kind of quote us as saying, or they'll say, you know, Bergen Man show that it's much better to be a go-giver than a go-getter. Um, but that's not... Uh, uh, here, here's the thing. A go, we love go-getters. <laughs> when, you, when you define a go-getter as someone who is a person of action, mm-hmm. and that's what we see a go-getter as being. Mm-hmm. Now, what people are thinking is a go-taker. Right. Big so distinction. What we say is, right. We want to say, be a go-getter, a person of action, mm-hmm. and a go-giver, someone who's absolutely laser-focused on bringing value to others. Be a go-getter and a go-giver. Just don't be a go taker mm-hmm. that's the person who's focused only on themselves it's all about the take it's it's what can they take without having brought value to the other person to the process to the situation yeah and and adam grant of course writes that that book right give and take very similar right. in terms of the research right. just right everything you've talked about 
Well, Adam, you know, I mean, he his book was a masterpiece uh, because really what he did is he gave the explanation mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. of why, and I mean to the detail. He did. In terms of why, why, what John and I wrote in our parable, why really that is, you know, on a scientific level, why that, and it was a great read, too. Yeah. So it was, like, it was very fun, but I, I thought his book was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I did too. I found that to be very, very helpful. And all these messages about how we can be better at being of service to the people we want to offer value to, how do we create value for those people and how do we continue to offer value to those people? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, how, do, how it, in what kind of volume, how are we helping those people along the way? How do we influence people and how do we make sure it's sincere, not, you know, just a, a fake effort to look green or to, you know, whatever volunteer project we do. I was at a site one day and the site leader told me, oh, we really take care of our employees here. Um, every Friday afternoon, they have like two hours where they can just do learning things, learning material or do whatever they want to do to improve themselves. And so I said, well, can I just walk your floor? And I went out into the factory floor. I was walking around. I talked to about 50 to 60 people. I said, just tell me what Friday afternoon looks like. And they said, what do you mean? Friday afternoon looks like every other day. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's not quite what I was looking for. (laughs) But it's a tell, right? It's a tell. Absolutely. And and what's really happening on the floor versus what we put in our posters and in our web copy and on our websites is a big distinction. It's a big difference. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And... And, you know, we have a lot of, I think it's called, the, the name is virtue signaling mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that you know. And that's when you say and do things that show just how nice a person you are and how yeah. caring you are and how this you are and how that you are. And I, I saw a great quote the other day, and I, I don't remember what it is right now, so please forgive me, but it had something to do with if you're having to make a point of how virtuous you are, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet I'm inspired by those companies right now that are talking about how they're converting factories or changing routines in order to meet the need. But a lot of them are doing it. Right. So there's a big distinction, right, of being able to tell what we're doing in a good way versus those who are just kind of signaling something, but there's really nothing behind it. There's nothing, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of people can tell what those are. I, I mean, just on the face of it, it, the more, you know, Doug Conant famously said, people are tired of the BS in PR. I just love that. People are tired of the BS and PR. Yeah, that's true. You know, I I think of a great example like um, uh, uh, Bob Chapman, who's the the chairman and CEO of uh, Barry Waymiller, who wrote a great, great book, Everybody Matters. And there's a guy who who really had an epiphany because he used to, you know, run his his company pretty much, you know, like the gen numbers first, this and that, and so forth, yeah. and and had an epiphany and and saw that really, um, uh, you know, these these people are the employees, the team members are are people to treasure and people to genuinely care for and people, and so this became the company culture, yeah, um, and it withstood challenges, uh, you know, it with, withstood what happened in two thousand eight, you know, the economic meltdown, the financial meltdown, right, and they came through exactly like the company that they uh, that they say they are, mm-hmm. and. Um, and of course they came back stronger mm-hmm. and they're one of the most profitable companies out there. He's such yeah. a, a wonderful leader. So there are plenty who know, you know, the only, uh, the, the only question it really begs is 
when we know these things, why are there still companies out there that are run top down and, you know, uh, just command and control and ineffectively? And you've got, you know, why? I mean, just, and again, just if you want to say reasons of rational self-interest, yeah. why would the leadership continue to do what yeah. has been proven to not work when it's, when, when being genuinely good to people and encouraging and, and creating value for your team members yeah. has proven to be the best way to get them to create value for others. There is great irony in that. And, you know, Edwards Deming, when he was consulting in Japan right after the World War, he wrote in the 1950s, if we just got fear out of the workplace, mm-hmm. we would have a better workplace. And that was in the 50s. I mean, we've been talking about some of this stuff for decades. Right. And so the right. irony is, is that you're right. There are still companies that are struggling with this and still saying, I wish you could talk to my boss or I wish I could, you could, you know, my, my manager could hear this. Right. And we've been raised, perhaps in generations past, in a way that taught us that this was the way to survive in business, and this is how business was done. But the truth is, is that be competitive today, we need to evolve. We need to be able to have a better way of leading. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's not a matter of, at this point, I don't think of, you know, it being in the testing phase. It's been proven yeah. beyond, beyond <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's like no excuse at this point. Yeah, when someone says, show me the science, show me the data, it's like, come on. <laughs> come on, what, 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 what else could you possibly need? Yeah. Bob, I love this conversation. What, what have you learned along the way or do you wish you would have known earlier in your career? And I'm thinking about those listeners today who might feel a little bit stuck or they don't know where they want to go next or they, they hear these things like you and I just said, you know, that we've heard about these things for a long time, but they don't know how to move it forward. Is there anything that you would have felt that would have been helpful if you would have known it earlier? Well, I mean, I think really early on, it was just, it was just not recognizing that there were things I was, you know, reminds me of the old Mark, well, this is credited to Mark Twain. I don't know that Mark Twain ever actually said it, but you know, things that are very wise and mm-hmm. witty are often credited to Mark Twain or Benjamin Franklin or, mm-hmm. or others, even if they never said it, but it was, uh, something like it isn't what you, it isn't what you know, it isn't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you're absolutely positively sure you do know that just ain't so. Yeah. And I think that was my biggest thing. There were too many things that I absolutely positively knew that turned out not to be so. Yeah. And it wasn't until I really went into learning mode in my mind once I realized I didn't have really anything figured out. <laughs> and I love that. that. That's when things all of a sudden started to, you know, to pick up for me. <laughs> I really love that quote. Could you just share it again? Uh, yeah, it isn't, it isn't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you're absolutely positively sure you do know that just ain't so. Yeah, I love that. And again, it's credited to Twain, though. There's no, there's, there's no, uh, there's nothing that that says he he actually sure beautiful quote though and i know in a recent video post you actually shared something about this right that we do need to be able to say sometimes i don't know i don't have all the answers oh, yeah when that when it comes to an uh, in interpersonal situation yeah with someone absolutely to to be able to not be attached to having to be right yeah which doesn't mean you don't want to be right. Of course you do. It doesn't mean you don't prepare to be right. Sure you do. It just means that you 
you forego your attachment to having to be right or having to be 100% right mm-hmm. or, you know what I'm saying? I and do. when we can do that, two things happen. First, we go into learning mode when we actually listen to the other person mm-hmm. or or check our premises and do some additional research instead of just accepting that what we think we know because it's been told to us and from people who we like or, try, right? We, we don't know that it's true just because someone that we admire thought it or said it, sure. whatever. But so, so first it, it puts us into learner's mode, which increases the chances, of course, that we will actually be, be right. But secondly, when the other person understands and they will understand it very quickly when they come to understand that we're not looking to just be right and we're not just looking to be right at their expense Mm -hmm. but that we're actually seeking for truth Mm -hmm. regardless of what that truth ends up being that's the point where they lose their defensiveness Mm -hmm. and they're much more likely to let go of their attachment and it becomes much more of a collaboration toward ultimate truth yeah yeah, just letting go of the fact that you don't have to pretend to know. Right, exactly. And you'll be just so much more powerful when that's, you know, I find the same to be true when I'm in front of an audience and I'm sharing I'm sharing with people or I'm sharing with a company or a group that when I'm speaking to the individual and I'm really trying to add value to the individual rather than worried about what, what they're perceiving of me, I have right. a better connection. Right. I just create a more authentic connection when I care about the people I'm with and that I'm actually yeah. in service to them. Yeah. 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 And that's letting, and that's, you know, that's letting go of the ego part of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when we do that, you know, again, we just, the connection is so much, so much better. So. It is so much better. So much better. So what do you say to those who are stuck? Those who might be struggling and they say, man, I hear you, Bob, but you don't understand my pain or, you know, I'm, I'm in a different, well, whatever it is, they're stuck. What do you say? What's the first step where we could say, hey, this would really be helpful. If, if you're in a stuck place, consider this. Well, the first, it, it, it always begins with awareness. Mm-hmm. And that awareness has to come on their part. I mean, mm-hmm. we can plant the seed and we can, we can suggest something that there may be an issue. But they've got to be able to accept that what they're doing right now mm-hmm. uh, either isn't working for them or isn't working as effectively as it could be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because let's face it, if you were to say to somebody, you know, hey, how's things and how's it really, you know, they say, hey, couldn't get any better. Well, why would they change? Yeah. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean everything is necessarily great for them, but if, if they're not either allowing themselves to see it right. or they really don't know, they're not going to change. Yeah. Okay, so it, it always begins with, with awareness that, that maybe what I'm doing, that there's a, a, a better way to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a matter of just uh, listening to those people who have a, a proven track record and who's where you feel there's a congruency mm-hmm. with character. You know what I'm saying? That there's somebody who, because, you know, someone could do something in a, a way that's totally different from what you would ever do. Mm-hmm. And whether it's right or wrong, it, it could be, you know. So it, it's, it's really a matter of making sure that those people you're tapping into, those people you're listening to, uh, are operating on a character frequency, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and, and a success frequency that, that you um, believe in yeah. and so forth. And then you start to listen. And you, again, you know, you, you let go of necessarily uh, doing things in a way that, that weren't working, that you may have been told or taught that 
you know, are now proven to not really, you know, being the, the way that's going to do it for you. Yeah. And you, and you take on a, a different way. You know, so that awareness piece for me is huge. The, the blind spots that we all live with, for me, one of the helpful questions is, what do I need to let go of mm-hmm. to be of better service to mm-hmm. others? Mm-hmm. You know, That's what right. do I need to let go of? And, and I think you mentioned that so many different ways today and, and illustrated that really, really well for us. I'm really grateful for this conversation today. Oh, me too. My pl- I always love speaking with you. We'll have to, we'll have to uh, talk with each other in less than 10 years. <laughs> I think that's actually true. We really do need to do that. Any last thoughts or reflections you'd like to share with this audience today? Well, you know, I think back to something, Max, that, uh, that a, a person told me. I, I, I'd been in sales for about two years. Mm-hmm. And I had done you know, pretty well. I had learned sales. I would studied it. I was doing it. But I was in a slump. And I was really having an issue, and I was selling a, a you know high end product for a, a, a company, and and I had just come back from a uh, non selling appointment. Mm-hmm. Now it was not non selling by design; it was supposed to be a selling appointment, but it was my own inadequacy in the process that that kept a person from owning the product where he would have really benefited from mm-hmm. it. And um, so not only did I hurt that person in terms of they're not having the value, I obviously didn't earn the money that I would have made from the, from the sale. So it was a lose-lose instead of a win-win. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back to the office and I, 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 looked, I must have looked really disgusted at myself or whatever because this person, he was not in sales. He was an older guy. I think he was in the engineering department or something. He wasn't in sales. And I didn't know him very well and he didn't say a whole lot, but he was one of these guys, you know, we've all kind of known someone like this. He didn't say much, but whenever he did say something, it was always profound, Hmm. right? And I think he saw in me sort of, uh, he sort of saw me as as a Joe in the story, in the go-giver, right? Joe, who had all this great potential, Mm -hmm. uh, but there was something holding Joe back, Mm -hmm. which was Joe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In this case, it was me and my focus, where my focus was at. And he said, Berg, can I give you some advice? Hmm. And I said, yeah, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Hmm. Your target is serving others. Hmm. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. Hmm. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. Hmm. But never forget, he said, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. Hmm. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that's when it really hit me that I'd been approaching this wrong. <laughs> because great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. Yeah, it, It's never even about the product or service itself, as important as that is. Yeah. Great salesmanship is about the other person. It's meeting their needs. It's discovering what they want, what they need, what they desire. And it's helping them to get it. And it's helping them to realize the benefits and realize the value in a way that's going to serve them. And once we look at it that way, just like the person who you had the Twitter conversation with, we now see that that turns everything around, not just because it's the right way to be, though it is, but because that's the way people are going to know you, like you, and trust you. Yeah. Bob Berg, thank you. Thank you, my brother. I'm really grateful for this conversation, and I appreciate all our listeners out there today who joined us on this conversation. Tune in next week. We'll do it again on the Purpose and Principles podcast.